All right, all right. Hello, 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 everybody. Hey, welcome to this live cast. So good to see so many of you chatting there. I have with me tonight my partner in life and in crime, Evie Botello. Hey, Evie. Hey, how you doing? All right. Hey, uh, wow, so much to cover tonight. Um, what an incredible show we're going to have here. And we have to talk about some troubling stuff, and we're going to hopefully avoid and invade whatever censorship um, happens to still exist out there. So fast-moving target, we don't actually know where all the censorship comes from or why, but um, I've been a busy boy and hope I think I'm on a couple of lists um, here and there. <laughs> maybe not. Maybe I'm over. Naughty, huh? Maybe I'm overstating my own my own importance in this whole thing. But no, it's it's been happening to a lot of people. In fact, if you saw, Elon Musk went ahead and and uh, announced that he had bought 9.3 percent of Twitter stock, and that created this enormous. Um, immediate backlash within Twitter. And one of the things that I saw was we saw a lot of people suddenly getting their accounts suspended off of Twitter. Pepe Escobar, 35-year uh, investigative journalist, boom, gone. Really? Right? Juanita Broderick, who's who's one of Bill Clinton's victims, uh, just boom, gone. Um, a couple of accounts that I follow that uh, were giving me, I thought, a fair and balanced view on, let's just call it geopolitical things, because you can't even say those words here right now, because that's our most sensitive narrative control that's going on. So that's the world we live in right now. But today we're going to start with something a lot more somber than that, which is that deaths of working age adults are up over 40% above expected values. Hey, Aaron, let's go to uh, video clip one. I just want to hear that intro real quick. And we and are seeing be- right now the highest death rates we have ever seen in the history of this business the highest death rates they have ever seen in the history of business. Scott Davidson, CEO he of, uh, of a life insurance company, what he's talking about there is that um, they've been in business since like 1896. So, uh, I was about to ask, how, how long is that? Uh, that would be through what we would call technically World War One, World War Two, the Vietnam War, um, a variety of high mortality events and things like that. And uh, um, they're seeing death rates that are really inexplicable. So this is 18 to 64 year olds. And this has just come up as a as a significant feature of 2021. And it's carrying here into early 2022 as well. So we're going to explore that a little bit. It's just data. I don't have any particular things I want to say about it. I've got some hints, but we're going to take a look at that. Let's um. Let's go to that longer clip, and Aaron, I may ask you to stop it here and there, but this is, again, CEO of a major life insurance company, and these people got the goods, right? They have they have the data, right? They've got decades and decades of data. They, they track the statistics really, really carefully, right? They have a financial incentive in knowing how long people are going to live and when they die early. That's their incentive. As I've recently discovered, hospitals had a very strong incentive mm-hmm. to classify people as having COVID, right? Because they got a 20% kicker if they put them on remdesivir. They got right. a, a 20% kicker if, if they had to um, go into f- up through the stage from uh, into ICU. They, they got a $39,000 bonus if they had to put them on a vent. Um, so, hey, yep. Charlie Munger says, you show me the incentive, I will show you the outcome. Well, Scott Davidson and the life insurance companies, they have an incentive here to track what's going on with the people that they cover. Okay, longer clip. Let's let's take a listen. And we are seeing right now the highest death rates we have ever seen in the history of this business, not just at One America, 
the, the data is consistent across every player uh, in, in, that, in that business. Now, this is primarily um, working age people, 18 to 64 that are in employers like all the employers on, on the screen here. And what we saw just in third quarter, we're seeing it continue into fourth quarter, is that uh, death rates are up 40% over what they were pre-pandemic. Now, just to give you a, a, an idea of how bad that is, a three sigma or a one in 200 year uh, catastrophe would be 10% increase uh, over pre-pandemic. So 40% is just unheard of. And what the data is showing us is that um, the deaths that are being reported as COVID deaths greatly understate the actual death losses among working age people from the pandemic. It may not all be COVID on their death certificate, but deaths are up uh, at just a huge, huge numbers. Uh Whoa. All right. So let's decode that a little bit. There's a bunch to unpack in there. He said some really important things right at the end. He said, well, we can't, we can't uh, ascribe all of this to COVID. So he's already admitting that. He goes on later to suggest that maybe this is because people were un or under vaccinated. Um, but it's just a theory. They didn't actually have any data for that. But what we do have is a 40% increase. And he said something, um, Aaron, let's bring the slides in because I, I have to I have to unpack this. This is really important <laughs> understanding. The teacher in you just cannot I can't, resist. I can't help it. In I fact, know. I may have to get, get my drawing your, uh, tool. Oh, out. right. Get your uh, notebooks and pencils out, please. Everybody. No, it's not. It's not that kind of learning. It's a different <laughs> kind of learning. Um, all right, Aaron, I'm not seeing this over on the display monitor here. Um, so while we're getting that up, oh, I see it there now. It's in front of me there. So, uh, yeah, so this is a quote. This is in Daily Costs. Uh, so I pulled this from a fairly what we consider left-leaning place. Just so you understand, I'm, I'm not – this got so politicized. Yeah. yeah. When did you have to start saying this is not a left – I'm not blah, blah, blah. I've never been left-right. <laughs> not right. left or right. <laughs> I've never been left-right. I'm, I'm like – for integrity versus lack of integrity. You know, I'm up down. Um, so I don't care where I find that integrity. But um, what we're seeing here is, is so I mean, some people might say, hey, are you finding all this stuff like, you know, over on Breitbart or Fox News or something, mm -hmm. something right leading. So I specifically pull things from other places just to show, mm -hmm. look, this is this is maybe that diffuses that the political angle a little bit. Right. So Right. Okay, that's good to know. All right. Well, here we are in daily costs, and and what they say here is, uh, you see, he says, just to give you an idea, quoting here, how bad that is, a three sigma or two hundred year catastrophe would be a ten percent increase over pre pandemic levels. They saw a forty percent increase. Okay. Um, hey, Aaron, I still need display on this monitor over here, if you could. Um, so. This is what we, we got. We got to talk about this. Perfect. Thank you. That's awesome. Um, so what does that mean? A three sigma event. So we're going to get what does that I, mean? Dr. Martinson, I told you there would be no math and I <laughs> lied. Um, oh, this is so this is really cool. So this is where statistics <laughs> comes to life. I think there's there's uh, trust me, I'm going to land this bird on a branch. <laughs> you should uh, see our dates. <laughs> <laughs> Date night is amazing with this man. <laughs> oh, yeah, you could. I bring out my TI-85 calculator. It's amazing. Um, so three sigma. So this is a normal bell curve of distribution. So if we were measuring, say, the height of people in Boston or San Francisco or any large place with a lot of people in it, a million plus, you would find this sort of bell curve of heights, right? And so one standard deviation is a statistical measure that says 
within a normal distributed population, you would find roughly two thirds of the data would fall within this. Let's say that's like for men, five, three to five, 10, you know, something like that. That's where you'd find two thirds of your data. But by the time you've gotten to two standard deviations, you are now covering 95.5% of the data. And by the time you get to three standard deviations, three sigma, a standard deviation is called a sigma. Three sigma is covering 99.7% of the data. So you can see over here on the side, there's a little table that says, well, if this thing happened, you know, we're looking for something approximate frequency for a daily event. If it had a one sigma event, you'd expect to see it twice a week. And if this daily event uh, happened with two sigma frequency, you would see it every three weeks. If it was three sigma, you'd see it yearly. But by the time you got down to, say, six sigma, you should see this thing happening every 1.5 million years, right? So, oh so there's very, very little data out there. I'm raising all of this because it's been described that this 40% increase in deaths is a 10 sigma event. It's just a little bit unlikely, right? <laughs> just a little, just a little bit. So, so let me let me let me let me drive this home. So this this was fun. Um, so this here is uh, uh, showing up here is height in the USA. Um, and so, Aaron, just bring that slide back up if you could. Great. So this is showing height of women in red, and you see this this beautiful bell curvy sort of an approach here. And these are in inches, so 61 inches is 5 feet 1 inches, and um, very, very few women are out here at uh, 6 feet, right? Very few. They exist, but there's very few. The tail is very small. This is 6 foot uh, for men at 72 inches right here, and this would be the height of men, yeah? Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so you can see that very, very few men actually statistically are over six feet. But if you go on, I've heard if you go on the Tinder app, women are 98 percent asking for men that are over six feet. <laughs> so 98 percent of women are asking for three percent of the men. It creates trouble. I'm, I'm sure it does. Not, not as much trouble as China, though. All right. That's so, just unfortunate. So, so let, let, I think this drives it home, though. So, so here it is. Um, so oh, let me get rid of this little thing right here this is i don't need this little box right here so uh this was a cool story i just stumbled across yesterday uh, a minnesota family has now been confirmed in the uh guinness book of world records as the tallest family in the world uh family of five the trap family that's <laughs> a <Some> great name <laughs> sound of music Scott, Chrissy, Savannah, Molly, and Adam, collectively, they have an average height, average, of 6 feet 8.03 oh. inches. Wow. Yeah, they're pretty tall. I think one of the brothers is like 7'5 or something. But anyway, yeah, they all got their, their hands up on the ceiling there. So, <laughs> but this is, this is now confirmed is the tallest family in the world. 8 billion people, 4 people in a family. Let's say there's 2 billion families out there. This is the tallest family in the whole world. They are every, you know, standard deviation, like one in two billion. There's a one in two billion chance that these people were going to be the world's tallest family. And so that's what we saw there is this. All you have to have is an average height of six feet, eight inches, and you are a multi-sigma event. You have a one in several billion chance of actually being these people way out there on the end of the bell curve, right? So, so that's how these things work. Um, and so I thought maybe that was kind of a fun way to talk about uh, the the actual uh, way in which this standard deviation thing works. So, 
So it's unusual is what it's you're saying. It's unusual. Really bizarre and it's different. It's unusual. So when Scott Davison talks about how uh, this is a more than three sigma event, he wasn't just saying under 10%, a 10% increase in deaths in working age people, 18 to 64, would be a three sigma event. Expect it once every couple hundred years to happen by accident, but 40%. There's no area left under the tails of those. This is so unlikely that the first thing that ought to happen in an intelligent, intact society that actually cared about its own people would be a huge flurry of activity. You'd be reading about this daily. The CDC would be sending teams of people out. They would be combing through all the records. That's what would be happening. So is it all cause mortality that that I mean, obviously, we don't know what people were were perishing from well we know some people died from suicide because it was it was bad um, yeah. we know some people died from fentanyl overdoses which is a form of suicide in some cases in essence right people yeah. checking out we know that um there was some but once you even factor those out you can't explain all of this so mm. something is happening out there yeah and so um yeah we, we've got we've got to talk about that so i see a lot of comments up here and um people are talking about uh, wow, so many shorties in that chat. What's up, ladies? <laughs> <laughs> it's from Munoz. Uh, so, yeah, so, but I, we got to talk about this because this should be absolutely something that's being talked about, like, just con- just constantly. And by the way, um, get to the point, Chris. I'm getting there, Yeah, Robert. Let's go. <laughs> Come on. Working on it. <laughs> um, well, let's... Um, so is this just certain, this is uh, the gentleman that was talking, if you don't mind explaining, um, is he talking about the entire world population or was this specific nations only? I mean, where do they get all these Oh, Scott numbers? Davis, well, he's talking about all the people in their database. So they, they provide life insurance for like 10 million people. So it's a fairly large sample size. Okay. It's representative. In fact, um, that's plenty to say this is extrapolatable across the entire population of the United States. They serve enough people, right? Mm-hmm. So in statistics, the sample size matters. If this was, if they had 10 people in their population, it would be meaningless. Mm-hmm. But they don't. They have 10 million. All right. So I'm going to get to where we're going with that. But but there's a really important story we're getting to tonight, which is about this really critical concept. And it's known as the common knowledge game. We're going to get there. It's going to be really important. First, hey, Aaron, let's go to that next clip, which um, let me think is uh, that Sunday agenda clip. What do you got? Let's pull that one up real quick if we can. Uh, I thought this was really astonishing. Uh, This is Australia. This is a very, very major program there. This isn't like some right wing smallish channel. This is actually one of the premier large channels. Go. Uh, Ollie wants to just uh, watch this space at this stage. Nothing coming out of the Port Adelaide team this morning came over. He's subbing out of the game on Thursday night for nausea slash heart reasons. He spent time in hospital and yeah, it's just a, it's a big unknown as to as to when he will play again. It may be as soon as this week, but nothing coming out of the club. There's a lot of this going on in world sport at the moment. Well, in the world. World sports? Yeah, I, I think a lot of athletes have got these issues. And are you, Brownie, referring to the booster shots oh, and the, the booster shots? That's obviously yeah. um, the word going around. 
Look, it's, it's been discussed. I haven't been able to get an official line on that from anyone attached to, to Ollie Wines at this stage. But, yeah, the question is being asked and put to me and, and others, including yourself, uh, by a lot of people about but a possibility of that. But it's not, it's not just the heart issues. I mean, like, you know, without delving into your private affairs, um, you know, you've got Bell's yeah. palsy at the moment, which hopefully yeah. you're on the back yeah. end of that. But there's a bit of that going around as well. Yeah, exactly. It's got heart issues and Bell's palsy has gone through the roof uh, since the, the boosters and, and COVID issues. So, no doubt. And we had Michael. Angelo Rucci on AW on Friday night and he said that wines is it's, it's a field there's a ward filled with people with similar symptoms in Adelaide to Ollie Wines so nausea heart issues so there has to be something more to it yeah well, and, and just we're not anti-vaxxers we've all done our due diligence with our booster shots and all that sort of stuff but there is going to have to be some study done on this mm. not just in a sporting yeah. sphere yeah. but uh, a you know like a community sphere. And, and you're right though because we don't want to get into the space we're not experts in at all but but from, oh, we do two hours of that every sunday don't we, we often do that <laughs> but when it comes to the medical side we try and stay clear all right well huh <laughs> so Bell's palsy, a little bit of that going around. He's like, I got <laughs> going around. Oh my god, his mouth is like it's going around. Poor guy. Oh my god. So, um, there they're, they're openly saying, like, can we talk about this yet? Can, can we just have a conversation? Bell's mm. palsy, a little bit of that going around, but all these major sports stars, and of course, us, you know, coming down with this shortness of breath with the heart condition, some of them retiring. We saw this in tennis, right? So Australia had that famous, famous case of um, Novak Djokovic, the world's premier tennis star at that point in time, refusing to get a shot. And he said, I don't have to. My body is is my temple. I take very, very good care of it, given my age and the general health I'm in, plus the fact that I already had COVID. There is no need for me to get one of these shots because the shot would give me zero benefit, would give anybody else zero benefit, but would give me risk. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that sent the Australian authorities into a tizzy because they want to recognize the opposite of both those conditions. Like, oh, no, no, this, this helps protect other people, and it's totally safe, right? So that was the, the story they wanted to carry. And, of course, Novak was running against that. And so that created a big brouhaha. And then months later, there was a little bit of irony, which was that the then world champion star had to withdraw from a match because of heart condition. So there's something going on here, right? Mm -hmm. And um, this gets us uh, close to something called the common knowledge game when it's okay to talk about these things, not in whispered tones, just to say it quite openly. So I wanna talk about that in just a bit, but first, um, Aaron, let's go to that last clip here. Uh, This is uh, another person in Australia talking about a 40% jump in code 1s. A code 1 is a, is a very serious condition when you send out an ambulance. That's a heart attack. It's a stroke. It's a There's code 1s. I guess there's code 2s, et cetera. But, um, so she's talking about that. And Aaron, we're not going to play this one all the way to the end. I just want to get through that, that first bit there. I'll tell you when. Yeah, I don't think anyone can explain why we saw a 40% jump in code 1s. And I've, I've seen that as I've travelled around the state sometimes. I'll walk into an ambulance service and they'll say, we had a 30% increase in code one yesterday. Can't tell you why. We just had a lot of heart attacks and chest pains and hmm. trouble you know, breathing, respiratory issues. Sometimes you can't explain why those things happen, but unfortunately. Yeah. Some, we don't know. You can't. You just can't explain these things. And and you know what? We can't. I don't have the explanation, but I do know that that would send a normal, healthy, intact culture into a bit of a tizzy. And they would say, 
let's find this out. Out of the context of COVID and all the insanity and the mass psychosis programming and all of that which has happened, if we were in 2019 and we saw a 40% surge in code ones Mm -hmm. and in deaths in working age people, this would have been a huge tizzy. If it had been determined that this was because of something that had been slipped into our salad bars by some Middle Eastern terrorists, like, trust me, there would have been huge amounts of attention on it. But right now, we're still getting that gaslighting mm-hmm. of that you must be a little crazy for at even asking the question that we would want to understand what's going on there. Right. Um, and and I get that a lot of people would say, oh, well, this must be a long-term impact. This, this is long COVID. Mm-hmm. It's long COVID. Could be. But how would we know? Right? So we don't actually have the data to say one way or the other what this is. But what we do have is, again, that temporal association. That's how we do things in science. So the first thing you would notice is, well, are these was this a steady elevation that started right when COVID came along? No. This is a real boost that actually starts and picks up uh, speed in 2021. Remember, COVID arrived in 2020. So the first hypothesis you might make is, well, it takes a year after somebody gets COVID for that to develop into these things that we're now seeing. Mm-hmm. It's a legit hypothesis, right? Sure. Or hey, it could be something else um, that came along right around 2021. So <coughs> at, at any rate, we're, we don't really have a good and full inquiry into that yet. Um, do you, why do you think that is? I mean, aside from what you're saying, which is that we can't really discuss these things as openly as we might like to at this time, right? Well, l- let's just be clear. Science <coughs> has been completely destroyed in this country. So science is curiosity and, and it's asking and answering questions. You form hypotheses. They don't have to work. Mm-hmm. You, you form a hypothesis. Hey, I think this is because of long COVID. You go out and you gather some data. It either supports or it refutes that hypothesis. Your choice, right? So that's how it should work. Yeah. It's not how it's been working right. for quite a while now. So one of the things I, I talk about with the FLCCC doctors all the time um, is the extent to which COVID broke the medical system versus how much it revealed how broken it already was. Mm-hmm. And a lot of these really good doctors, very high integrity people, always doing the right things for their patients. Mm-hmm. And they came to a sort of that hard red pill conclusion red pill in the matrix that's the one you take when you want to see reality as it were unpleasant though it may be they had the red pill stripping away where they suddenly realized that many of the people they worked with did not share their passion for helping people Mm -hmm. did not care about patient outcomes nearly as much as they cared about not rocking the boat being in the center of whatever the 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 polite society would think not getting in trouble at, at meetings you know as long as you do what the protocol tells you to do you don't get in trouble in the system and the protocol who writes the protocol would be the next question right exactly and, um but that's not doctoring a protocol could be administered by a a, a like a nokia 1997 phone <laughs> right that, that level of brain power you know <laughs> and by the way great phones but um yeah. So. So do you think that maybe these people, I mean, or, or let's take the U.S. in general, that um, we got when we when people are afraid, they tend to have the tunnel vision, right, where they aren't able to sort of take in new data and information. Everything sort of goes down to a much uh, narrower lens of, you know, seeing things. I'm just wondering if people are have become so obsessed on some level with COVID 
they're not actually able to help people anymore. Instead, they're just unable to see some of these wider lensed things and the facts of what's happening with the side effects from the jab and blah, 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 blah. I mean, it seems like everyone went into some sort of crazy making around the masks and, you know, lockdowns and are you vaccinated or not? And and, and so we stopped asking the other important critical questions about keeping our society healthy, like children being able to see the lips of their care providers and, mm-hmm. and not having, you know, speech yeah. issues or et cetera. I mean, we all know these issues are are very wide yeah. and deep, but I'm just curious about what could be happening that's causing people to not see this glaring headline about, you know, the amount of death going on. I mean, it's going to happen anyway to all of us, but. Well, uh, I've covered this in a number of past programs about um, uh, the common knowledge game is, is the piece we're going to get to in just a bit, but we talked about Uh, mass formation psychosis, which is a psychological process whereby uh, when people are under, when a population of people are under a certain amount of stress or anxiety, or they have an outside free-floating anxiety from some fear, right? And in times past, those fears included um, things like, oh, witches or vapors or um, something like that, uh, you know, and then Obviously, in World War II, there was Jews, and today it's people are scared of a virus, mm-hmm. right? And and that fear was really, really whipped up, right? Mm-hmm. So the survival rate off of this virus, depending on your age, is anywhere from 99.995 all the way and up to, you know, something much less than that, like 98-something But if you're over 80, right? But it's it's a very, very high survival rate. Um, especially under a certain age. And so the, the fear was way out of proportion to the actual risk in this particular story. So we saw that happen. And once people get into that anxiety state, they're just looking to release that fear. They just don't want the fear to go. And if authorities tell them the way you release the fear is to just do this, you know, you know, just do this one more thing, like just wear a mask, wear two masks, um, wash your fruits and vegetables before they come through the door, take this jab, second jab, third jab, fourth. Like we just saw that there was a recommendation, you know, that uh, they get, a, that people get a fourth jab. So a, a fourth jab. For, really? Well, but that could make a lot of sense if the jabs worked at all for these variants, which they kind of don't, <laughs> right? Nobody nobody can really connect that. Like the, these variants, Omicron, BA1, BA2, and now unfortunately there's BA3, 4, and 5 sweeping out from somewhere. Really? They always arise in South Africa. It's kind of weird. I'm really concerned. I'm really suspicious about that too. I'm very suspicious these days. Um, but uh, so what you're talking about is this, this mass formation psychosis. A lot of people really lost their moorings. Mm in this story it's too bad um as a nation i mean what what ties us together anyway like we don't have the same we all come from different backgrounds you know the things that make america really wonderful in terms of um all of our differences sort of in the melting pot that is the usa i think maybe one of the drawbacks is that we don't have a, a lot of shared sort of ritual or holidays or you know what i mean mm-hmm. I'm i'm wondering um Anyhow, there's so many questions about this. I know we've gone over it a lot. <laughs> yeah, but. so we can we can we can pick that up in just a bit. Um, I see some people here. 
Uh, hey, Honey Badger, you're absolutely right, Midge. We got that going on. And um, somebody's suggesting here, must be a lab in South Africa. Well, thanks, Rooster. Um, <laughs> I don't know where the lab is, but the, why these variants keep coming in South Africa? You know, it there's billions weird. of people all over the world and they keep just like popping up rock star in, in South Africa. I don't know what that's all about. Yeah. Uh, I, I just, it's, a little, it's starting to weird me out a little. Um, because, of course, these Omicron variants have almost nothing to do with each other, like from a genetic lineage standpoint, like practically nothing to do with each other. Are, are the new ones like that as well? I yeah, yeah. They're, been following I, I haven't seen the sequencing of this latest BA5, but of course it got splashed out as part of this a little bit more fear. They're like, this one's going to be worse than the other ones. Um, how much worse? We don't know. But And I hope it's not worse because, I, I mean, aren't we, all, aren't we all done with this at this point? So, mm-hmm. But let's talk about the, the importance of those sportscasters daring to say something on television like they did. I think they must have hit their personal limit. I mean, one of them is in there with Bell's palsy. Obvious left side of his face is all droopy. Uh, I'm sure that's devastating to somebody who's got an on-air persona and identity and um it's happened to a lot of folks so let's let's go there now so i want to this is a really important piece of framing um i tell people about this one all the time like i I probably whip this out like once a week and it's not (laughs) mine this comes from ben hunt he's a a wonderful thinker you see he writes it for his own site called epsilontheory.com brilliant guy and i like the way he frames things so my personal attraction is for people who spend the time they think things through and then they change how I think about things and so this guy very forcefully changes how I think about things with a minimum of words like this guy will do it in three paragraphs next thing you know I'm thinking about things differently this was one of those moments and when I first came across this the common knowledge game and of course this is actually defines the work before us so if you consider yourself to be in this tribe of people who's here you know, using your lifetime to try and make things better, you have to know about the common knowledge game. It's that important because this is actually what we're up to and what we're about to do. I spent a lot of my life because, as I say, I'm a quick learner. Eventually, (laughs) I spent a lot of time trying to convince people with data before I realized data doesn't do it. Mm -mm. It just doesn't. You can have all the data in the world, but somebody who's holding a belief that's resistant to that data won't matter. So so what does, what does change people's minds? How do we do that? Some people you have to get in under their belief systems and figure out how to arrange the information so that it doesn't trigger their belief system, early warning minefields, you know, protection (laughs) systems for everybody else. It's really a question of they, they need to be in this, in the fold of people in the common knowledge game. So what is this? You see here, he's got a picture of Harvey Weinstein, um, Weinstein, I think. Yeah, this would be Weinstein. Uh, and Matt Damon here. Of course, Harvey Weinstein is that famous uh, Hollywood guy. And uh, so here we go. Is this different than the Overton window? Very that? different. Overton window defines what's polite to talk about. It, it relates. Okay. I think it relates. Okay. Um, but here we go. So, quote, the public unmasking of Harvey Weinstein as a serial rapist, that's the word people, is an archetypal play of the common knowledge game. And recognizing its dynamics should open everyone eyes, everyone's eyes to other high and mighty people and ideas, how they can take that fall. The core dynamic of the common knowledge game is this. How does private knowledge become not public knowledge, but common knowledge? Common knowledge is something 
that we all believe everyone else believes. Common knowledge is usually also public knowledge, but it doesn't have to be. It may still be private information locked inside our own heads, but so long as we believe that everyone else believes this trapped piece of private information, (laughs) that's enough for it to become common knowledge. (laughs) In green, the reason this dynamic, the transformation of private knowledge into common knowledge is so important is that the social behavior of individuals does not change on the basis of private knowledge. That's the data. Mm. I can give you all the data. It still is not going to be change most people's behavior. Mm-hmm. No matter how pervasive it might be, even if everyone in the world believes a certain piece of private information, no one will alter their behavior. Behavior changes only when we believe that everyone else believes the information. That's what changes behavior. And when that transition to common knowledge happens, behavior changes fast. So that's why I'm constantly tracking for signs of anything that looks like this private information. So there's a lot of people out there with private information about how vaccines, they suspect that Mm -hmm. vaccines may have contributed to some condition they have or exacerbated some condition or or had some impact that was anything other than safe and effective. And we're seeing more and more and more of that. But by the time, here's my hypothesis, we have four very prominent public sportscasters. And and maybe I'm wrong, but I project that sportscasters of anybody are really fully invested in sort of being the everyman, like being in the center of it. You know, it's really it's sort of a middle of the middle of the um, mass sort of a thing, I think. By the time they're out there actively going, can we talk about this? This I'm not anti-vax, but isn't this a little weird? Right. We're, I hate that line before. We're, well, we're very. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not anti-vax, but. But, um, yeah, well, I mean, y'all have to say that, right? That's the call and response. That, that's our, that's our. You I know. know. I'm just anti everything. You know. I'm such a rebel. Preacher says this, you say, oh, man, you go back and forth, right? It's just a, it's a thing. But um, uh, so at any rate, that that's actually very close to that coming out and becoming part of common knowledge. And when common knowledge happens. It happens fast, okay? So um, that's why I really want to bring this idea up. And so let me carry on. Let's carry this idea. Well, let let me just, let's reiterate this. So common knowledge is something that we believe Mm -hmm. everyone else believes. Let's find something. Right? (laughs) What's your private piece of information? I got a lot of private information. All right, come on. Um, What do you think everybody else knows? Well, I mean, make it th- I mean, this is so, so all right. Well, let, he, Ben's going to make it personal for us. Let, let me go okay. into this because I think he does a great job with this. Um, so let's go to this next slide here. And um, uh, quote, the classic example of this is the fable of the emperor's new clothes. Everyone in the teeming crowd possesses the same private information. They're all with their own two eyes going, that dude is naked. Right. <laughs> but they, they don't believe everybody else knows that because, of course, in the tale of the emperor's new clothes, the emperor's spun the tail with his tailor's help. You're going to get in trouble for this one. I said Scandalous. naked. I said naked. It's close. <laughs> I don't think you can get in trouble for that yet. Maybe next year. Um, anyway, so everybody believes that this whole story, but they have their private information. It's like, he looks naked, right? So everybody possesses the same private information, which is the emperor is walking around as naked as a jaybird. But no one's behavior changes just because... The private information is ubiquitous. It's every, everybody in the crowd has it. That doesn't change. That, that doesn't do it. 
Nor would behavior change just because a couple of people whisper their doubts to each other. This is like a person behind you in the bus. Hey, uh, I'm, I'm not so sure about Aunt Sally after her second jab, right? It, it's still, you could share it, but it's still private. Remember, common knowledge is when everybody believes that everybody else has this information. It is actually irrelevant if everybody else has the information. It's about everybody believing that everybody else has the information. Mm -hmm. And that's when it all sort of turns over, right? Um, so nor would behavior change just because a couple of people whispered their doubts to each other, creating pockets of public knowledge that the emperor's naked. So that's where we are. We have lots of pockets of public knowledge mm -hmm. that hasn't quite gelled to that last piece. I believe this is what the battle is right now, that they in this story, the censors, are desperately afraid of and they know this dynamic as well as I do or you do now, now that you understand this. They're desperately trying to keep things from becoming common knowledge. Mm -hmm. And they have many tricks at their disposal to do this, right? Um, they can distract, deflect, deny, all of those things. So you may have noticed, as things start to get closer and closer to common knowledge, whoops, there's something there to distract us, right? Next thing you know, every newspaper in the UK is flooded with the Queen's health from COVID and she's 90, whatever, and they go you know, back. And as soon as that people refocus off of that and come back to this idea of, well, you know what happened to Aunt Sally? And boom, there's this, th that's, they're desperately afraid, I believe. Mm -hmm. Hypothesis. I, I believe that there are a group of people that are desperately afraid of what will happen if or when the things that we're holding as private and in pockets of public knowledge become common knowledge that's the game and and they're doing their level best to keep it from coming into common knowledge and that's where it's really important you remember in mass formation psychosis the most important people are those who simply stand up and resist they are the people that stop that mass psychosis formation from from going further and ending in atrocities which is where it always goes and so you need those brave people who are willing to stand up and say no Right. And mm -hmm. we, we have our examples that are out there. But there comes that magic moment where all of a sudden you don't need those people anymore because poof, it trans it makes this magic transformation across culture into common knowledge. So, so that's the work. The work is you say this. I say this. We all say these things enough times. And then it just happens one day. Abracadabra. Abracadabra. So <clears throat> let, let's go back to that slide. Um, I want to finish this out. Um, uh no, the only thing that changes behavior is when the little girl, what in game theory would be called a missionary, announces the emperor's nudity loudly enough so the entire crowd believes that everyone else in the crowd has heard the news, and that's when the behavior changes. And of course, they all burst out laughing, and the emperor's like embarrassed and covers up, according to the children's book I read, he covered up, right? <laughs> you can imagine that if that emperor right was Russell Brand, he wouldn't have covered up, he would have just proudly swung around <laughs> said deal with it right but this this emperor was a little more <laughs> a little more chaste than that right mm -hmm. all right quote and so it was with harvey weinstein apparently it, it was no great secret that he's a serial rapist apparently everyone in hollywood was familiar with the stories it was ubiquitous private knowledge and pretty darn ubiquitous public knowledge i mean if you're making jokes about it on 30 rock it's not exactly a state secret so that's how public it was they were making jokes about it right you know, it's it's in a it's in a sitcom, mm -hmm. and the sitcom, you know, one of the lines was something along the lines of like, "Oh, you're going to see uh, Harvey. Um, you know, make sure you uh, you know, wear your chastity belt or whatever, right? You know, they were making jokes about it. So that's how that's how ubiquitous people were making jokes about it. Mm -hmm. But that wasn't sufficient to carry that over the goal line, and to make it become common knowledge. 
This is like what just happened with uh, at the <clears throat> at the most recent award ceremony where mm. that kind of almost speaks to what you're talking about. I think doesn't wait, it? Wait, which which where, event? You mean the Will Smith slap? Yes, yes. Because basically, what was coming out of <laughs> the comedian's mouth was something that you know he was willing to treat as public knowledge and joke about and blah 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 and. Clearly, that wasn't what Will Smith <clears throat> wanted to have out there. I mean, I don't know. It feels like an example of that. Something changed there. I'd have to analyze that a little more. But something, something, that was a moment. Um, and I'm not sure how real and versus manufactured yeah, it was. Either. I don't I don't know yet. All right, let's, let's carry on because i got to finish this one last piece out here. So, um, <laughs> uh, but there there was never a missionary. There was never anyone in, in the, never was a missionary for the, for uh, the Harvey Weinstein situation, there was never anyone willing to shout the information so loudly and so publicly that it became common knowledge. And that's what Rose McGowan did. That's the power of Twitter and modern celebrity to establish missionaries and create common knowledge. Once that common knowledge was created, once all the private holders of all of Weinstein's dirty secrets believed that everyone else believed that he was a serial rapist, then everyone's behavior changed on a dime. His publicists and lawyers and partners and colleagues and board of directors and wife were shocked, shocked, I tell you, to hear of his behavior and certainly would no longer be representing him or working with him or associating with him ever again, even though nothing had changed in the information they already possessed. That's nothing so happened. Weird. This is just people. We're talking people. Ditto with Weinstein's other victims, right? Their behavior changed as well. It's not a knock or a slam on them because many of them came out of the, the woodwork after. It's like, oh, yeah, me too, right? And he's saying, listen, this isn't a knock or a slam on them. In the absence of common knowledge, staying quiet, whether you're in a better or a victim, is the rational thing to do. In fact, this is what Weinstein and his abettors count on that their threats and shaming and bribes will set up a Hobson's choice for the victims. Sure, you can go public, but no one will believe you, and then we will ruin you. So yeah, go ahead, your choice. Of course, no one goes public because a Hobson's choice is not a real choice. Only a victim with missionary power, and that's a really rare thing, has the option to not just go public with the story, because simply going public is not enough to change behavior, but to create common knowledge with the story. End quote. So this this is this is that's the work. So and we've had a couple of, I thought, really powerful missionaries come forward. We had um, Maddie DeGarry. Maddie DeGarry. <laughs> um, she's a power. Like she's an actual victim. Mm, right. Mm -hmm. And her mother, Stephanie DeGarry. Yeah. Right. Very powerful. We, we had um, Kyle Wilson, the no, Kyle Warner, the the uh, mountain bike champion, the 29 year old guy who who. Mm -hmm. um, Anyway, so these are these are appropriate people to be sort of those those missionaries, as it were. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was going to say Joe Rogan because he kind of does that. <clears throat> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, no, he, he's definitely standing out there and, and taking a lot of risks and um, and being courageous. And that's really important because you need cor courage alone isn't enough. Mm -hmm. You need courage in the people who have that missionary capability as well. Mm -hmm. And they exist out there, but boy, our system can't ignore them fast enough. Right. Because they represent this threat. And if you're wondering what's the threat, like why wouldn't we just say, oh, yeah, sometimes there were some rare effects and we should take care of these people. We shouldn't gaslight them. You know, well, how, how would we go about doing that? And we would publicly recognize it. 
But if you're afraid of the common knowledge game, you have to do everything in your power to prevent even that first little girl from crying out the emperor's naked. <laughs> right? So mm -hmm. so I think this is this is just really really uh, uh, an important concept. So that's actually the work I'm in. That's the work I consider myself to be in and you're in it with me and we're in it with all these uh, doctors that, and other people who are working really hard. Uh, there's truckers out there. People are trying to bring forward this idea that look, there's something really not right in the system and, and we'd like to correct it. We would like to have a, a better future we can believe in. To get there, we have to be able to have private knowledge become public knowledge become common knowledge. And now I think we can understand why there was such an incredible disruption in the force as Elon Musk strode in, smashed aside some share ownership said, I might want to be on the board of Twitter. The, think of the confusion. Think of how think of how damaging that would be. Imagine if Twitter was a place you could suddenly put your ideas out there as you had them and they weren't going to be suppressed by an algorithm or by literal censors. Your account wasn't going to be suspended because you held a different view from the prevailing orthodoxy. That's a changed world. So then he, he went into the board and everybody's like, oh my God, he's going to be on the board. He's going to be on the board. It's going to be bad. <laughs> he said, no, thanks. Don't want any part of that. And then he made an offer for to just buy the whole company saying that place is totally defective, meaning he would just fire everybody who's working there in the management. And, and, but um, uh, that's a highly dis disruptive event potentially, because then we could get to what I think is the core of our problem, which is a lack of accountability among people who need to be held to account. Um, people who severely messed up in their roles and or uh, self-enriched and or did things that were um, in their own narrow best interest against the public best interests. Um, that, that's a lot of what's a lot of what's going on there. So yeah, uh, love button. I actually like Elon now. Me too. Uh, I was waiting for him to throw his, his, uh, his weight around for something that would make me uh, uh, really, really enjoy what he's up to. Um, and uh, so yeah. Uh, Elon is now somebody who's who's uh, on my yeah I like mm. it I like I it a lot. Um, well, that's an interesting one. Yeah, free speech for fifty-four bucks a share, <laughs> or which one? <laughs> oh, it's highlighted. Uh, Sherry, it, oops, did it go away? People do not want to see the negative because it is hard for them to process um, that they must right made here. a decision to put their own lives at risk. Too much to process what has occurred. I think that's true on some level. I mean, I don't know about you, but I get totally like after sort of browsing the quote media world of media i just get tired you know i i don't enjoy it that much to continue subjecting myself to it yep <clears throat> yep you know it, i i must be different than average people because it doesn't draw me in anymore but mm. i think it you know for everybody out there i think it's a lot to ask to draw attention to all these issues and to hold them all up here and to think re really critically about them all because most of our news aggregates are no longer in integrity and doing the kind of reporting that i believe they were meant to do yeah so now we have to take it upon ourselves to do all that research in our in our spare time like when is that well, you know. that's what I do. I do research for, for, for people. That, I mean, that's literally my role here. But um, uh, so casting back, I mean, we opened this up with the idea that Scott Davidson, the CEO of the life insurance company, is talking about 40 percent 
increase in excess deaths in working age people, 18 to 64. And we reviewed that data and saw that it's, it's not just statistically unlikely, like, you know, a P value of having a 0.05 means if it has a one in 20 chance of like happening by accident, we say maybe that's statistically significant, right? One in 20 can still happen, right? Your D and D 20 sided die will sometimes roll the number you want, right? Um, but so it happens, it's not that unlikely, but 40% increase should happen according to my statistics once every billion years or so on its own by accident, absent a war or some other causative explanatory factor. And we don't yet have the data to say, is it long COVID? Is it related to COVID? Or was it related to inappropriate lockdown procedures and other things? Are, are these all small business owners who were destroyed and you know gave up the ghost because drank themselves to death or used fentanyl or something because they were otherwise dispirited to that extent? Or was it something else? And we should be examining that with all of our energy. And instead we're just ghosting it, ignoring it, and taking it away, which makes me suspicious. So here's, here's how I work. I scan for two things when I'm trying to figure out what to talk about. I consider that the media commits, what, what I'm told, when I say the media, I'm really talking about the narrative that's allowed to filter through. So the media to me includes what is promoted to me on Twitter and what's missing, um, what's promoted on Facebook and what's missing. Um, I track who's getting suspended and all of that. And out of this, I create sort of a tapestry and I do read the newspapers too. And I watch as much TV as I need to know what they're thinking. And, and, and so um, from that, I develop my operative framework, which is there are sins of omission and commission. A sin of omission is just a straight up lie. A sin of, um, of sorry, of commission is straight up lie. And a sin of omission is what are they not talking about? Mm. Like what's missing in this story? It is completely missing in this story that we are not talking about a 40% increase mm -hmm. in deaths in working age people. And so now we have to ask the next question is, well, why aren't we talking about that? So back to your point, we're not talking about this because people are just confused or otherwise well, I mean, shell-shocked from the yeah. whole COVID experience, but <clears throat> I mean, it's gotta to be more than credit. that. You know, I don't wanna say that, because I feel like all of us are, I mean, we're, let's imagine we're all average thinkers, you know, we're not stupid. It's that we have so much on our plates, you know, trying to take care of kids, trying to whatever, you know, do our personal projects, trying to run a farm, blah, blah, blah. I mean, you just take that plus working. It's, it's enough to drive people to the grave anyway. <laughs> well, I get that. And, and my point though, is that that's true for you and people listening to this and people who have busy lives, but it's somebody's job to track this. That's true. So to the extent somebody's got a busy job and they're welding or teaching kids or doing whatever they're doing or trucking things across the country, that's fine. But the CDC has a $42 billion budget or whatever it is, you know, it's like, I don't know what it's big number. Yeah, no, I agree right? with you about it's that. It's somebody's job to not, not track this, right? <laughs> so they, at any rate, that that's my expectation. But the fact that they aren't tells me lots oh, yeah. in this story. That's like, that's like the Biden laptop. <laughs> You know what I mean, though? That conspiracy fact that just came true? I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah, again. For the dystopian screen But But that novel. was, no, that's a perfect example. So, so the Biden laptop, which was, you were not allowed to talk about it. And it's not like you weren't allowed to talk about it. The nation's oldest newspaper, the New York Post, published a well-documented, editorially scrubbed article about its veracity. 
and they got their Twitter account suspended. <laughs> <laughs> right? So that's, that's again, that, now that's a sin of commission. That, that's an active, um, malignant, malicious act of censorship, um, which does not advance our nation, does not advance a sense of togetherness, does not advance truth, justice, the American way, any of that stuff. So, so whatever's going on um, in those stories is, is really quite bad. But, but, you know, so that's a politically embarrassing story. So I can almost make an exception for that compared to right. completely memory holing a 40% increase in excess. So let me put this in, in, in numbers. That is somewhere, depending on who's doing the statistics, how you look at it, somewhere between 170 and 270,000 excess deaths that weren't expected. The Vietnam War was 58,000 deaths. So what we're talking about here is anywhere from three and a half to five or so Vietnam Wars of, mm-hmm. of excess unexpected mortality in a certain age group of people, which shouldn't be happening, full stop. So again, where's the curiosity? Where, where's the inquiry? Where's the at least the ex- explanatory function to come along and say, well, we added it up, it's this, 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 and this, and then we can go, I'm not sure you got it right, show us your data. You know, that would be the process, but it's just whew, sins of omission. Mm-hmm. This thing is just gone from, from, the, from, the, from the landscape at this point yeah so it's weird right so that tells me something and you can fill in the blanks for yourself but it all i know is that it's not from the common knowledge game one if something's still in private knowledge i'll guarantee you there are people inside the cdc sitting on this information maybe even leaning over the cubicle and talking to the person next going dude i'm sitting on all this data about these excess deaths, this isn't right. And the other, other person would be like, yeah, you know, you're right. It's totally not right. There's, they might even be public. There might even be whole, they might even have little meetings about it, but it's not, they can't talk about it yet because it's not common knowledge. So I'm talking about it because it should be common. It should be common knowledge. <laughs> it should be. It really should it be. It needs to be. It I deserves mean, it, to be. Right. And if, you know, if there are people, obviously, that that passed away whose lives, you know, mean something as well and why they passed away and of what or because of what you know i think it's as a i I don't know as humans maybe because i I don't even want to break it down any further as humans i think it if we're going to consider life our own lives valuable then i feel like we should be considering these things more seriously and caring about what the answers are to these questions well of course we de- we deserve an- we deserve answers, mm-hmm. right? If my tax dollars go to support a multi-billion-dollar agency whose only job is to sift through this data, I kind of expect they're going to do that. It'd be like, what if we gave forty billion dollars a year to your local state road crew and nothing ever got done, just potholes and bridges falling into rivers, right? right? And everybody just shrugs and says, "What are you going to do?" You know, um, I-, I think we got to break out of that. So. Uh, at any rate, um, so what do we got? Do we have any good comments? Oh, we got great comments going on here. So we do. You have 40%. Yeah, you're right. That is, Rudy, that is biblical. Uh, it's a it's a huge, huge number. It's it's tragedy. Every one of those is, is 170 to 270,000 is a statistic. One of those is a tragedy. Mm-hmm. Every one of those is a tragedy. For the, yeah. And it's so weird you know back to the whole the COVID thing it's just so bizarre to me i don't know it probably is to other people as well but it's just so weird how like if you care about you know other people you're going to wear this mask you're going to do this you're going to change your your behavior in these these ways and 
and they're willing to sort of shove people into a corner, you know, and time out for not doing those things, mm -hmm. you know, including what happened up in Canada with people protesting. Like, it's just frustrating to me that <clears throat> I, I just don't like that kind of hypocrisy. It pisses me off. <laughs> me too. So, so let me, um, let me tell you one of the other clues I have in this story. So, uh, Aaron, we'll go to this slide right now. So this is again, a sin of omission. So here we have, uh, again, we, I've, I don't know how many studies we have now, a couple dozen for sure. And this study says vitamin D deficiency was found in 82.2% of COVID-19 cases and 47.2% of population-based controls. So 80%, 82% of COVID-19 cases, cases, so these are people who present at the hospital, had vitamin D deficiency. Only 47% of the population had low vitamin D. So hmm. if it was even Stephen, if it had no impact, 47% of the population would have low vitamin D. 47% of the population would have COVID-19 mm -hmm. cases, right? In, in that in that story, as you, as you look at it. Right. So in here, you can see it even more clearly, breaking it out by concentration. And so um, this is under, I believe, 20 nanograms per ml and this, or... Is that, or is that a 10? I can't read it from here. I can't see it either. And is this 10? Yeah, this is 10 to 20 and 20 to 30. So that's under 10 down there. And then um, over 30 nanograms per ml. By the way, I think the actual cutoff is 50 nanograms per ml to be completely practically bulletproof. Not just from COVID, mm -hmm. but from all kinds of things out there. True. So. And then you look at the number of um, COVID-19 cases that are out there in, the, in these black bars and you see, look how many of them are down here in the, in the under 20 nanograms per ml. And then there's practically, you know, relatively far fewer out here and almost none out here. And if you were out at the 50 nanograms per ml, it'd be pretty much zeros. So this is what we've known. We've known about this for a long time. How many times have you heard anybody in a position of authority, Rochelle Walensky, director of the CDC, Anthony Fauci from the NIAID, um, director of the FDA. How many times have you heard any of them say, my fellow Americans and people of the world, it's really vital. We've come across some incredible information. If you can get your vitamin D levels up over at least a minimum of 30 nanograms per ml, we'd prefer 50 nanograms per ml, your chance of getting COVID drops, your chance of being in the ICU and your chance of dying from COVID drop precipitously right go get your blood tested and if you need to go get your blood tested otherwise we blah, recommend blah, blah. whatever they would recommend 5,000 IUs a day for people particularly if you happen to be older and you're stuck inside of a uh, an old folks home and you don't see the sun you are particularly at risk due to age mm. and lack of, of solar exposure to, to have low vitamin D we've known about vitamin D I've put my first episode out about this in spring of 2020. The I data know. was already there. I know. We haven't mentioned, it hasn't been mentioned even once. This is a sin of omission. Now here's the question. Why? Why would you not mention this? Money. Dark theory is that adequate levels of vitamin D don't just help with COVID-19. They help with all sorts of disease processes. Mm -hmm. There's not one person incentivized. Remember, you show me the incentive, I'll show you the outcome. Mm -hmm. There is no incentive for whatever reason inside the FDA, the CDC, the NIH, or the NAAD, or within HHS as a collection umbrella for all of those. There's no incentive in there to talk about vitamin D. They have some other set of incentives, but clearly they don't have an incentive to talk about vitamin D, possibly because 
more people get on vitamin D, the fewer profits there are for a whole host of companies who make profits off of sickness and disease. Mm -hmm. Could it be something else? I suppose it could, but I can't think of an organizing principle that explains it any better than that because it's cheap and easy and freely available and you would be a hero if you came out and announced that and all these people suddenly started getting better. You'd think that would be a win, but it's not for some reason. Yeah. Right? So everybody... Everybody should just, everybody listening this to, listening to this should definitely take vitamin D if you're not already. Well, it, we're not medical. Helps. We're not medical. We don't give out medical we advice. We don't. We don't. I don't give out medical advice, but <clears throat> I'll, I'll do what Anthony Fauci did. You can pretend you're Jennifer Garner. So only time he mentioned vitamin D ever, he was on Jennifer Garner's vlog. I guess he was a little starstruck. Yeah, He's like, ooh, like look her. at this hot woman over here. So you just play <laughs> Jennifer Garner. Uh, you can fill in this role and just say, um, ask me, hey, hey, Chris, what do you, t- do you take anything? So is there anything in particular that you take? Oh, yeah, I take vitamin D. And I'm sorry. He did. He did. That's the only time that's the only time I'm aware of him ever mentioning vitamin D as something you should take is when he was starstruck. (laughs) And he Uh, mentioned that he personally takes vitamin D. Well, how is this not how is this even a thing that vitamin D is not mentioned? It, it, It has a statistically proven benefit. Everybody should know about it. That's why I talk about it all the time. People should know about it. I know. I do take it, right? I I do because I got this cheap Swedish skin, you know, and uh, I I don't like the sun. I've got a little vampire. Swedish and vampire. I have those things. I know. You do. And so I have to take vitamin D because otherwise my my levels, um, uh, yeah. I think we're meant to be outside, honestly. I was outside today. It was so great to be out there here in New England. It was like balmy and beautiful, like between 60 and 70 was a long degrees all oh, such a long winter all day. And uh, it was just absolutely gorgeous out. And I just think nature, it just revived me to be out there. I think there's something that we probably haven't figured out about what it does for us. But I feel like it's for me, it's the equivalent of plugging my battery. And it's just I feel uh, I feel so much better after that. I feel like no matter where you live, being outside, just stepping outside into the sunshine must must feel good. Into nature. Into nature. Mm. As wild as you can find it, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, oh, yeah, uh, Sean says Sweden. Yeah, so so some countries do care about their people. And Sweden, uh, 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 we're talking about vitamin D here. Sweden did actually promote vitamin D to all of its people. In fact, if you went to India and you're in that crazy state of Uttar Pradesh where uh, they had such low incidences of COVID and COVID deaths, they had a five pack of things that they handed out. Uh, The dreaded Dwizabin 2 was in there, um, which is, um, uh, as uh, how does does Dave Collin put it? You can't, because you can't say it still. It's a little little band, but um, he calls it, I have a rectum. it's, it rhymes with that. <laughs> and and they had vitamin C in there, and they had uh, a, um, doxycycline and or Zithromax in there, and they had zinc, and they had one more thing. Two tablets of 60,000 units each of vitamin D. So that's what India did. That's how you detect you're in a caring country. That's what El Salvador did. Um, it's, it's like a lot of countries did that to great effect. Um, why didn't that happen we should really be talking about that. It should be more common knowledge. It's like, hey, wait a minute. If we had a if we had an active press, they'd be going, Fauci, Rochelle Walensky, et cetera. Why aren't you talking about vitamin D? Why have you not mentioned that? Today, I went this morning to the NIH treatment guidelines. 
270 pages. How do you treat COVID? Ooh, that sounds painful. Vitamin D. Find the section. It says insufficient evidence exists to promote either for or against the use of vitamin D in COVID. <laughs> insufficient evidence? Yep. <laughs> oh, my God. Yep. I'm tired of this yep. BS. Yep. yep. That's why I'm outside most of the time. I, I just... You have some kind of strange ability to take all this information in and not get raging mad unless I, or I don't usually see you super angry. How do you do that? You, you don't know about the speed bag in the basement, do you? <laughs> I haven't heard it. <laughs> I don't know. No, it's I don't crazy, know. Though. I've been at this a long time. No, but that's your one of your gifts, I think. Yeah. It's just not mine. I, I can't do what you do. I know. Well, thank you for being here for, for this part of it. Um, sure. All right, so so that's that part. So I wanted everybody to know about those those excess deaths. I wanted to talk about the common knowledge game because that's the actual game we're in. That's how we change behaviors is we get things out of private public knowledge into common knowledge, which is when everybody knows that everybody knows that same thing. And you'll know that because instead of those two people whispering behind you in, in the bus or on the plane, they're going to have just a full conversation as if they were discussing what they had for Thanksgiving. It will just be out there. It's okay to talk about what you had for Thanksgiving, right? All right. Um, I got to turn now uh, for the remaining part of the show. We got to talk about something. Um, I think there's a lot of very unserious people in charge of things. And so these are very unserious people who are not taking Russia's warnings seriously enough so without taking a stance in this i'm just gonna i'm just want to talk here very quickly about the risk that's here so in german if you can read german up top the translation is acute danger of war Baerbock announced that he would supply heavy weapons to the regime in kiev Baerbock, um the german uh, official our russian contacts warned if this war equipment actually gets there the russian government will consider germany a participant in the war that sounds like an up, up leveling of the rhetoric to me. Uh, it sounds a lot more serious. And then we combine that with an equivalent statement, which was this, uh, again, from, I believe I pulled this yesterday. Russia will view U.S. and NATO vehicles transporting weapons on Ukrainian territory as legitimate military targets. That was the Russian deputy foreign minister said to TASS, the news agency. So uh, this, this, is, this is pretty serious at this point in time. So... I'm very concerned that this is dialing the rhetorics going up, not down. And that if we had serious people in charge, an unserious person says, oh, yeah, let's just let's just arm. Let's just send arms into Ukraine and, you know, trust that we're not we're not actually involved in this in any mm -hmm. way, shape or form that this won't like lead to any further provocation. It's not provocative. We'll just send arms in that, that will be used against Russia and, and kill Russian people. And, and Russia will, of course, understand that we just we just sold the arms. Right. Um, so or we uh, didn't directly hand them over. But mm -hmm. no, it's 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 Awful. it's serious people. So um, and then, of course, we had uh, Janet Yellen, the Treasury secretary. Um, looks like she's at a rave. I don't know if that was the appropriate background for this particular message right there. <laughs> it does look like that that's a little unserious but she's an unserious person so that's okay well she warned governments that any moves to undermine sanctions on russia would draw the ire of the u.s and its allies um so here's the issue this is why this is unserious russia supplies seven million barrels a day of oil to the world markets 
we can't just remove that. It's not like, oh, we'll take Russian oil away and we'll replace it with Peruvian oil, <laughs> like olive oil. No, you can't do it. It's just a completely unserious um, possibility unless, unless, unless your intention is to crash the economies mm. of the world. That's pretty serious. And so that could be well, what's good, happening. Good news. They're... Uh ethanol is now going to be increased according to the news I was reading about in the Wall Street Journal. I don't know how true it is, but apparently Biden said something like that about um, wanting to give contracts to farmers, etc. So they're going to be growing more corn, which is not necessarily the direction we need to be going in. No, no, no. Monocropping and all that. No, this. putting more ethanol in the gasoline <clears throat> is, is a dumb idea. It's, it's literally taking the last six inches of Midwest topsoil and putting it in our gas tanks. It's it's not a good idea. Um, we don't need more of that. We need less of that activity at this particular juncture. So, uh, yeah, so JL is writing uh, up top, um, Biden is allowing 20% ethanol now. Uh, by the way, the gas is a little cheaper, but you don't go as far on a tank. Maybe people won't notice. <laughs> <laughs> is that true? You don't yeah. go as far? No, ethanol has like a fraction of the energy content of actual gasoline. Oh, no. So, so, but it'll be cheaper because ethanol is currently cheaper than gasoline. But prediction time, as they try and put 20% in, they'll create more demand, which will cause the price to go up. <laughs> Econ 101, not the strong part of this administration right now. No. Right? So what we should be doing is causing demand destruction in use of oil because that's what you do when you have a shortage. Oil stocks globally are wicked low. There's actual shortages of jet fuel right now. Wicked bad on the East Coast. Diesel fuel's in short supply. So normally what happens when shortages happen is prices go up. And because prices go up, people use less of it. So to combat that, that's demand destruction. Demand destruction because prices go up, people use less. Demand construction is when your California say, let's just give everybody $400 a month per car so they can buy more gas. That's not going to help with the supply shortfall. So as they do that, people will continue to use more and prices will go even higher. It's just like it's really one of the dumbest things ever. These are unserious people. That's... You're being led by unserious people. They <laughs> fail to understand basic economics. And the most basic of them all is that you, one does not simply remove energy from your economy. You just can't. You just can't. Well, it's not like, we'll just we'll just do without Russia's 7 million barrels a day. Let's sanction that right out of existence. We will crash the world economy if that happens. Right. Guaranteed. That's an easy prediction to make. Right. You can, but there's going to be some some un uncomfortable side effects. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> well, and, and uh, I see a comment there that, you know, gasoline destroys um, gas the, the gas tanks and all this it, it actually ruins a lot so so i wish i lived in a state where i could buy 100 percent gasoline because i would use that in my small engines like my two cycle engines my lawnmowers um i buy like wicked expensive gas and like little metal cans from home depot for my chainsaw because my chainsaw hates eth gasohol ethanol in my gas hates it um so if i want them to run i have to pay extra to not have this junk put into it <laughs> <laughs> I knew loud. it was bad. I knew that like the pollution was not very good. Well, it eats the O-rings and yeah, it's it's just gums caustic, things right? up, just... and it, it attracts a lot of moisture, so it tends to go bad quickly. And it's just I don't know. rancid, rancid chainsawing. I Ran bet those words have never been put together before. No, but it sounds like a band name or something, doesn't it? So, um, so <laughs> yeah. Well, let's turn to some of the comments here. What, what's drawing your attention there right now? Oh. Uh, I need glasses. I'm sorry. Here, can I use yours? 
Well, uh, you won't probably, those won't probably won't work for you from there, but um, uh, let's just, they are Aaron, just, just pull some up. Echo chambers. Just, just grab some and we'll just read them off right here. Whatever strikes your fancy. <laughs> well, I had a question from earlier about COVID, which is, um, I don't know if other people are curious about this, but knowing what's going on in, in China right now, what do you, what's happening with that, do you think? Are they suffering from a another um, Omicron variant over there? Or Oh, God, that's a whole other, I don't know what's going on. You don't going. want to open that? No, that, that's a whole show. Um, okay. I don't know what they're doing, but apparently... Last I heard, and I, I didn't confirm it, so take this with a giant grain of salt, but that in, conditions in Shanghai are so bad that people were actually throwing themselves off buildings. Like, they've been locked in, like, st- starving. So, I don't know, is that a political play? Because the, the Shanghai bosses weren't playing nice, and so, eh, who knows? Right. I don't know any of that. Hey, there's there we get back to the, we solved the 40% death rate. Ta-da! All right, Aaron, throw some up. You're going to have to leave them up a little longer because they just, they, they disappear if you click twice, I think. Um, something happens there. Um, so please explain to everyone why building Keystone will not help the average. Oops. (laughs) Yeah. From Janet Greenhall, uh, Chris, please explain to everyone why building Keystone will not help the average American. The media isn't informing us. So the Keystone pipeline is meant to bring, uh, a grade of, so they call them, they, they like to call them oil sands because they're trying to rebrand them up in Canada, but it's actually tar sand. Like literally this is where we're at in this story. We're down to the bottom of the energy story. So they take this sand that's not coated with oil. It's coated with a substance called bitumen. It's a really waxy hard substance. In fact, it's so hard it doesn't flow off of the sand. They have to like basically pressure wash it off, you know, with like hot water. Anyway, the bitumen needs to be... Um, mixed with something lighter and then that's put in a pipeline so that's what they were going to put in this keystone pipeline was this bitumen stuff which by the way you can put that in a refinery and do some things to it and make awesome stuff out of it diesel and asphalt and jet fuel and gasoline so it's not terrible that way you can make things with it but the idea was that we were going to be able to bring a lot of this canadian fuel down into the u.s that doesn't save anything because Canada is producing about as fast as it can from its existing. Like the fact that we don't have a Keystone pipeline doesn't mean that Canada said, oh, well, let's not produce this, right? Um, they put all this stuff into rail cars and they ship it here and they ship it to the West Coast in Vancouver and they ship it overseas. So so the, there's, the Keystone itself was only preventing how cheaply and easily we could move the same stuff that's already moving anyway. So it would have... That, that's as far as I understand. I don't believe it was going to unlock any additional production from those because the, the tar sands, as I like to more rightly call them, are not, um, uh, they're not, it's one of the most environmentally destructive practices. It's, eh, if we could find a way not to, you know, uh, do the tar sands, that, that would be great. And I know they have some new extraction processes, SAG-D and other things that, that, tend to keep it a little bit more locked in but it's kind of it's kind of messy so keystone would have helped a little bit but it it doesn't help the global situation because on balance the same amount of canadian oil is still available whether it goes by rail to vancouver or comes by pipeline to the u.s there's still the same amount of oil in the world so it doesn't help the american situation all that much because oil is a global commodity the only way that could change is if we put a ring fence around north america and said we don't buy or sell to anybody in the world, and we just use everything d- that we domestically manufacture. Little known fact, the United States produces around 13 million barrels a day of oil, and we consume around 20 million barrels a day. 
well, 21 at the last count. So we're still, we still kind of need a, a fair chunk um, to pull this off. So that's how that goes. All right. What else we got? And we'll take a couple more here. Um, how can we get rid of the globalists? Okay, hold on. We got this one. Better place without them. Oops, excuse me. Hey, Chris, how about an update on Biden's war on oil? Oh, he lost that war. He that was that was that was the campaign trail, <laughs> right on the campaign trail. Remember, that. remember he went up to that that young girl and he said, "I promise you, look me look me in the eye. Yeah, I, I, I I fossil fuels are going away under my yeah. He, that's gone. <laughs> that's over. Now they're like, can you drill faster, please? Right. So this is why sometimes people ask me, hey, what are your thoughts on climate change? You know, what are we going to do to get off of fossil fuels? Janet Yellen, one of the most unserious people I know, just said. We have to redouble our efforts to decarbonize our economy. Like, oh, not that story again, right? Here's why we're not going to do that. The minute it oil, gasoline went over $3 a gallon, suddenly all the ardent environmentalists in the Biden administration were like, can we drill faster, please? Sweden, one of the greenest countries I know, their neighboring country in Poland was having an electricity shortage. So Sweden took a oil fired electricity plant out of mothballs, turned that puppy on and began burning oil because they didn't want to have an electricity um, nightmare. It, it, as soon wow. as, it, I mean, listen, if things get cold enough, you will burn your neighbor's furniture. Yeah, it's right? true. It's just, how we're, it's just how humans are built. So I don't actually have, I'm reasonably confident, and I could be wrong, but I'm pretty confident we're going to burn Mm-hmm. all the fossil fuels. The question is just how fast. Exactly. Um, and so that's really, you know, how's Biden's war on oil going? Well, not well, because it didn't survive the first time we transited from 3 to $4 a gallon. That war is over. Um, and, and so, but Europe is in real trouble with this. It's going to be really bad. Um, so <laughs> what else we got today, Aaron? Anything striking your fancy there? Mm. Ooh. Johnson D asking, saying, problem's not the price of oil, it's what our dollar is worth. Hmm. Well, this is actually a big theme of mine. Been talking about the death of the petrodollar, so let's no link way. the dollar and the oil <laughs> into one word, petrodollar. It's a thing, right? There's Federal Reserve papers on it. That's what Kissinger set up. That's what's dying right now. This, The death of the petrodollar is the biggest event in your adult economic lifetimes, anybody's. It's the biggest thing ever. Yeah, it's true. It's really huge. That's what we're talking about in part two of this. I, I got a special guest um, that we talk about at the website. In fact, I, I, there's a number of things that we're, we're going to be talking about in part two of this at Peak Prosperity that um, well, I probably towed the line, and I hope I didn't overtow the line here today with Evie talking about some things, you know, the evil JAB or whatever, or, or mentioning things. But uh, listen, we, we got it. We got to take those risks and for the common knowledge game, right? We're going down together at yeah. least. Yeah. But, um, but behind over at Peak Prosperity, we sort of we have a wall. In in private, we can have more full throated, open conversations about some things. I think we really need to talk about, and this is one of them. I actually personal thinking is that this is going to be um, an extreme period of financial distress coming up because it's not just like ah you know we got to unwind a little COVID stupidity from the Federal Reserve. Mm-mm. This is 45 years of increasingly dumb decisions that are now piled up. And if they break, they're mm. going to break around this concept of the petro dollar. All right. Since we're there, Aaron, I've had one <laughs> other video. I don't know if you teed it up, but it it's, has um, Saudi in that video title. This was a really big. So here's the thing. Before we play that video, here, here's how this works. 
1971, two and three, Henry Kissinger, who I deplore as an evil human being, was also an evil genius. And we were coming off of the gold standard in the United States where a dollar was backed by gold. August 15th, 1971, that ended, right? As Nixon temporarily suspended the gold window and yep, it's still suspended. Um, so beware the word temporary and transitory when it comes from a government mouth. Okay. So what do you do though? If the dollar's not backed by gold and the dollar's suddenly getting shredded, well, this is where the evil genius Kissinger steps in and he went to the Saudis and he said, cut you a deal. You guys are kind of unpopular inside and outside your country. We'll protect you all as a royal family. But here's the deal. You're going to sell oil, not just to us, but to the whole world in dollars. Good deal, right? Because the dollar's, you know, backed by a military. So that was the backing. And then the deal was they would have this what's called petrodollar recycling. So Peru buys oil from Kuwait. It's done in dollars. Where do those dollars go, right? We bought oil from Saudi Arabia. Where do those dollars go? They went from a server in New York City that had U.S. you know, insignias on it and went to another server in New York City, which said it belonged to Saudi Arabia, and they bought U.S. treasuries, they bought apartments, they bought U.S. stocks. The dollars never left the country. We created these things called dollars. The Saudis got fantastically rich off of this, rich, you know, because they had the ones and zeros were on this hard disk instead of this one. And the money never left our country, but the oil came. The oil's like real actual value. <laughs> and all we had to do was exchange some magnetic signatures, you know, from here to here. It's genius. That all worked until just very recently. And I knew this was breaking because like four weeks ago, Biden calls up Kingdom of Saudi Arabia. Ring, ring. And nobody picked up. They didn't take his call. <laughs> like, okay. <What? laughs> but they, t they took Putin's call and they took President Xi's call out of China. But they didn't take our call. That's a big Ooh. deal. We're in the doghouse. That is a big deal. I thought we were in the doghouse. Aaron, play this clip. This is when I knew we were in the doghouse. This is on Saudi State TV. See if you can follow along what's going on here. Saudi TV. Really? Thank you very much. A joke. Today, we're going to talk about the crisis in Spain. Yeah, we're going to talk about the crisis in Africa. Yeah, Russia. Yeah, Russia. And <laughs> I want to talk about the president of Russia, uh, Putin. Yeah, Putin. Putin, listen to me. I have a very important message to you. The message is. And the president of China, <laughs> oh, I didn't finish last night. Yes, Thank you to correct me, first lady. <laughs> Thank you very much. God bless you. And God bless... <laughs> Thank you all. Hallelujah. Clap to your president. Clap to your president right now. That was comedy. When was comedy. when Saudi Arabia, <laughs> uh, this is the first I'm aware of this, when they're mocking um, the United States in that way, mocking the president and obviously Kamala Harris's um, UPS suit, which got some tra enough traction to make it onto their... Anyway, this is this is a big deal, right? So this tells me that we're actually much further along in the petrodollar demise than I thought. Um, again, once it becomes 
common knowledge among all the holders of petrodollars mm-hmm. that that's no longer the thing to do. In fact, it's okay not to do that. Things change quickly. So these are the signposts that I read when I'm asking the question, where are we in this story? And, and with the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, KSA, doing that sort of, of open mockery, which, by the way, is very telling. Um, it means we're, we're, we're pretty far along. So at any rate... If you think, you know, if you think oil at 100 is expensive, you ain't seen nothing yet. Um, Europe pays the equivalent of $400 a barrel. Parts of Canada pay the equivalent of $400 a barrel. We're still paying the equivalent of about $120 a barrel here at our gas pumps. It could easily go up to $400 or $500 a barrel in this story, easily and higher, uh, once you understand where we are in the energy story. So that's actually something that's really important. So that was pretty telling to me. That was. I thought that was like a joke. No, but you see, they had to put a guy into the wig and everything because, you know, Saudi Arabia, they didn't want to have the veil, right? So they had, to, they had to get a guy to play Kamala. That was, that's in the context of their culture, right? So at any rate, uh, yeah. Um, so uh, that top one, um, Java, what's that? All the way at the top there, Aaron, way up at the top. Oh, yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, that one. Way down there. It fell down. Um, I like this comment right here. Kind of like your missionary point, Saudis are calling out the Harris, administra- the Harris administration. Another Freudian slip. A lot of those <laughs> happening around here. <clears throat> I get where you're, where you're going with that. But it is. It, that is. It, yes, that's the missionary. So who knows when the right missionary shows up? Maybe three show up and shout the emperor is naked and nothing happens. Mm-hmm. But maybe it's the fourth or maybe it's this one. We don't know. But that's what we have to stay alert for is sooner or later that missionary comes along in the common knowledge theory architecture who says the words and everybody goes, oh, everybody knows this, don't, don't they? And once everybody thinks everybody knows the same thing, then that piece of information is now truth and off it goes. That's why you saw such, this is how, this is how you do this if you're trying to do this. Safe and effective, 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 safe and effective. You just, you have to keep, you keep repeating it until everybody, everybody knows that everybody knows it's safe and effective, right? And it, and it takes a long time to sort of undo that, Mm -hmm. you know, and say, oh, but wait, there might be a few wrinkles in this story. Can we talk about them, right? It takes time to get that back out of common knowledge if you have inappropriate, you Mm -hmm. know, information inserted into common knowledge. So, hey, that's, that's where we are in, in that particular story so psyop yeah it's crazy remember when back in the internet was the first beginning if you wanted your website to do well you would just try to use the same word as many times as you could in your posting so you were talking about whatever wood or oil you would just every sentence you would try to find a creative way to use that same word because it was before we had tags for things i think sort of figured out so I would just read these things, and I'm like, what is this? And I realized it was just all to be able to get pulled to the top. So, yeah, for SEO searching and right, stuff like that. Right. But it's classic marketing, though. You, they say you have to put something in front of somebody seven times if you want to have any hope of them sort of retaining right. it and saying, I want a Jeep. You know, uh, you, <laughs> Safe and effective. It just made me think of that. <laughs> I have a rectum, right? <laughs> well, Sorry, everybody. We're having a silly night. Well, I have, I have, that's how you ask how I don't get super angry is because I diffuse with humor. Um, I'm glad you do. And I, I crack myself up sometimes if nobody else will. So it's just how it is. <laughs> I, I, I second that. Bring it. All Bring right. It Green Greg's asking how many I use of vitamin D do you take per day? Um, 
Well, you know, if if I was really good at taking stuff every single day, <laughs> I would have a single number. Um, so I'm supposed to take 5,000 units a day. That's what I that's what I've judged is right for me. Mm-hmm. But if I miss three days, I take 15,000. <laughs> so I, I have I sort of I put them out for the week. <laughs> I wish I could tell you it was really regular, <laughs> but it's it's a little it's a little messy um, for me. Uh, but on average, 5,000. I actually drop that off probably pretty soon when I'm able to have a lot of skin exposure in the sun. Because in the sun, you can get up to 20,000 units of vitamin D production in just 10 minutes if you have enough skin exposed. So uh, <laughs> that's, yeah, that's that. And by the way, it's different. The vitamin D you take as a pill is good, but it's not as good because there's actually a variety of things that, that the UV rays stimulate mm-hmm. um, that it's more like the entourage effect when they're making like whole plant medicine, you know? Right, right, exactly. Um, you, you just get a, I, I just, my suspicion is that every time nature designs something, it does better than we can do with a pill. So I like my vitamin D from the sun. Mm-hmm. But remember, we went through this for decades, like stay out of the sun, stay out of the sun, like sun's some kind of a poison, right? Mm-hmm. And the answer is, no, it's not. Maybe if you did too much, and we've all seen that lady in Florida, right? <laughs> Who definitely got too much sun. (laughs) We've all, we've seen that. So it's possible for it to be too much, turn you to leather, you know, but obviously in moderation, it's the right thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely should be. Um, uh, So please say it didn't have to be this way. Do it. It, Right right at the end, maybe. (laughs) You know what? It didn't have to be this way. So yeah, <laughs> no. We're really. gonna start asking for that to be on their answering machine. Well, well, I need that. You know, we have T-shirts that say that <laughs> in do. our swag gear over at Peak we Prosperity do. now, um, because it didn't. It didn't have to be this way. Um, and I'm still waiting. You know what I'm waiting for? My first sighting on one of those T-shirts in the wild. I want to be walking through a, an airport and I want to see somebody wearing. It didn't have to be this way. Or Peak Prosperity, and I'll take them straight to the bar. And uh, first, <laughs> first ten are on me. Okay. Um, so, uh, there was one there about, uh, George Bush said something. I, I like that one. Um, it, it's probably down a little bit right now. Uh, so I missed that one. It oh, flowed off the page already. 50,000 I use a week. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and let's see. Yeah. Uh, Geert Vandenbosch predicting a worse variant coming. Um, Oh, yeah. I don't know about that. You can tell me about that. Well, this is part of his his original hypothesis. Right, the leaky vaccine yeah. hypothesis. Yeah, that, that when you take a leaky vaccine and you put it into a, an active pandemic, you're just creating an escape and evasion room set up where the little virus can practice. Right. Um, so he actually thinks worse things are coming. But um, in part two of this, I also talk about um, some things that are still, I, it's very difficult to talk about in private knowledge even, which is, uh, around the degree to which um, the spike protein, however you acquire it, as, as gently as I can say that, um, that the spike protein itself can clearly cause in some people uh, the eruption of underlying disease states. Uh, right. We've seen a lot of that happening where people have something held in check, but it's not in check anymore. So I talk about that more in, in part two. And I think there's some data to suggest why that is um, that we can look at, but it's... Uh, yeah, really so come troubling. on over to uh, Peak Prosperity if you haven't already. Um, it's a great place to have all these kinds of conversations <laughs> and to listen to Chris. <laughs> Joe Schmo, put that one up. I like that one. Third from the top for me. Um, 
you're, you're distracted I love this by one. the screen. I am. On a scale of 1 to 20, 30, how excited are you for ESG? <laughs> a scale of 1 to 20, 30. Very excited, Joe. <laughs> very excited. I am mm. so primed for 2030 because uh, some very important billionaires have told me there's a lot that's going to happen by then. Um, so that is actually a backdrop for all this. We have to have a whole program about that. I want to go through the the eight things you need to know, courtesy of Davos, and they've been very helpful. Told us all about Some it. Guidance for our yeah. lives and how we're living them. You know, th I think they're gonna. Have, the first one they told us was, "You will own nothing and be happy." Mm -hmm. I think they need to update that to, "You will eat nothing and be happy," because yep. that's what's coming up this year for a lot of people. It's just, it's yeah, dark humor. You can laugh; it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I'm shy. Uh, uh, DMZ, uh, Arcadis up top says, uh, on the plus side, they can no longer use biolabs in Ukraine. Who ever thought it was a good idea to put biolabs all over the world? Oh, that was us. I mean, yeah. Like, why? What's the... That would have been the thing I would have most tightly controlled, personally. <laughs> I'm a control freak that way, but I'm like, let's not put biolabs everywhere, you know? So It doesn't sound like a good idea. Just that sentence doesn't sound like a good idea. No, it's, it's that. But I think that genie's out of the bottle. Um, so I was talking with um, a gentleman who was a former director of the CIA once. Don't ask why. I was, I was just at this wealth conference. He was right next mm -hmm. to me. I'm like, uh, what are you most worried about? And you know what he said back five, six years ago now? He said uh, CRISPR. CRISPR is a technology that allows somebody with about $100,000 in a year of training to edit genes and create new living organisms. Oh. It's very easy to do. So that's what he was most worried about because obviously that falls into the wrong hands and people are creating organisms and, you know. Oh, boy. That, that was what he was worried about. But um, So I think the genie's a little bit out of the bottle in this one that, um, yeah. you know, we can say we shouldn't be putting biolabs everywhere. But now that you can, like, basically order a biolab off of Amazon and some reagents and have at it, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's going to be tricky now. So at any rate, yeah, so... I what think about we're, eating bugs? If if we don't have things to eat, what's the bug that you would be most likely to cook up and just feast away on? Oh, for me, mm -hmm. that that's clearly um, I would eat a bug that's shaped a lot like a cow and is very large. <laughs> <laughs> would, would you be... go for like the crunchy, or you want like the spurty worm? No, no, I I'm definitely I'm a crunchy. <laughs> so yes, yes on the first part, no on the second. <laughs> I definitely none of. No, it's, it's, yeah. Uh, I got to start looking up what kind of vitamins insects have. We got a plan for the future. Well, so, I mean, for people, I mean, we are, this is coming from our home studio, which is here in the midst of Honey Badger Farm, as we titled our, our little enterprise here for obvious reasons for some of you. And uh, we're on a, um, a fairly decent sized chunk of land, a lot of trees. We got three cows, mm -hmm. plus or minus 30 chickens, depending on what the hawk's been up to this week. And... <laughs> Uh, a large garden and a lot of fruit trees that we're putting in and we're putting in food forests and we have a spring up the hill that brings water down without any pumping whatsoever under pressure and uh, this is something yeah we we did we we mm -hmm. we we got a little bit of a bug in us um, in August of 2019 we just said we gotta we gotta get out of this little city house that we're, we're living in up in Greenfield, Massachusetts, and put on a full court press. And then when this place became available, there weren't very many properties like it. There's none now. Um, we, we just put a full price offer in and, and just went for it. Um, 
even though old me would have haggled and waggled. And that me was like, I, we better get this. And because of timing, because we started in August, we weren't able to close. Our closing date was January 28th, 2020 on so this property. <laughs> oh, we snuck in under that wire. Right. But that's, I trust my gut. So I, I analyze like crazy. You know, I, I read too much, yada, yada. But ultimately all of my decisions are made basically when my gut screams and says, you better do this mm. right now. Mm-hmm. Right. Which is why when I was telling people, you better plant a garden, that's an urgent warning. It's becoming more urgent. 2020, I was pretty convinced people should do it. Now I'm really convinced. And it's because of all the things that are unfolding right now. Now, if you want that larger architecture, the crash course is the video series that talks about how we got here and why. Um, and I'm going to be updating that as well uh, this year as we go forward. And it's going to be a big lot of work. But it does explain from a system standpoint, how did we get here? And so I look at the economy, energy, environment, the three E's, plus our fourth E, we have an honorary E, exponential growth. And if you can understand those E's in a string, it just comes to this one conclusion, which is this ain't going to last, right? This is all unsustainable. That's, that's still private knowledge. It's becoming more public knowledge that this, is this meaning how we've configured our, our, and organized our lives, it's very unsustainable. Mm-hmm. But people already you. know that. So here's the thing. I don't make stuff up and tell people and have to sell it to them. I actually just line dots up and people go, I already knew that. Mm-hmm. I didn't see it quite that way, but I already knew that. That's the most common piece of feedback I get. In, in this. So I just string those dots around and, and we take a look at them. So, well, I mean, on one level, right, we're all going to die soon. I was just watching Stephen Jenkinson, one of my favorite people. He's this incredible guy. For, like, uh, he's, I, I don't know what you'd call him. He was in the death trade. He worked, he, he calls it that because he worked as, um, <clears throat> I guess it was in palliative care, kind of. He had got, gone Hospice. to Harvard, Harvard School of Divinity and he was just, helping people like a a end of life counselor but Mm -hmm. he just has wonderful things to say about like as a culture how our attitude toward death actually shapes our lives and because we're afraid of death and because we don't treat it in a way like we could be doing like some cultures do um and we don't sort of show people how to go through or uh dying in a in a way that has dignity i guess or honor um, he speaks a lot about that, and he talks mainly about how, <clears throat> you know, we could be changing ourselves from the inside out, and that that really is the most powerful way to be going about this, right? Because we're all going to die someday, and whether humans continue on or not as a species, as an experiment, is up, you know, up for questioning, really. But but I think it just. Like this was going to end anyway for all of us. Like <laughs> there is no going on mm-hmm. for me or for you or for anybody listening to this. Like we, we don't get any sort of extension. Mm. We have an, an expiration date and every day we're closer to that. Well, what does this mean? Like, let's see, I mean individually, certainly I know a lot of people um, can have, uh, you know, mortality issues. Sure. Uh, but what is that like for a culture? What What's the, what's the prognosis like? Well, by not... How do we define our culture in that story? We're, we're sort of... He, well, the way he speaks about it, he talks about how people are essentially pretty... Feeling pretty lost. Sort of lost from their traditions and rituals and mores of their, their cultures that they came from. So in the United States in particular, it's a bunch of people sort of, as we talked about earlier in the show tonight, 
coming from all different parts of the world and sort of landing here with their differences. But um, collectively, we just don't seem to have a way of confronting what dying means to be able to actually parse the meaning out of that and live it every day up until that moment, right? So if we know we're going to die, we're going to live differently. If we can actually reckon, reconcile with that idea. Mm. If, we're, if I know I'm going to die, then, you know, every moment I have sitting here doing what I love, being with the people I love is precious. And, and the decisions we make would be precious. And I don't know, I just think something's happened with, with how things have exploded. I don't know if it's having the fossil fuels and technology solve all our our, all our challenges or whatever, but it, it just seems like we're not as um, careful or too careful on some levels, right? Mm-hmm. Like parents are like super hyper aware of where their kids are at all times, where you and I ran around in the woods like growing up. So I don't know how to explain it. You know what I'm trying to say, I hope. <laughs> well, I so I was playing a little bit quiet. I love Stephen Jenkinson. I, I, I think he's amazing. I know. His, his sentence that caught me that I just... Again, he's one of these people who I learned so much from, and he has the capability to just like every sentence. You're like, oh my god, that's an amazing sentence, right? Every one of these things is a very. He's very philosophical, and he's a philosopher. So some of these sentences are just like good philosophy. They just you got to sit with them. And one of those sentences in this book, Die Wise, was, "Death is the cradle of life," mm-hmm. meaning that that. It's the cradle. Like you think of a cradle as this caring place where you where you, where you develop your your most sensitive moments in, right? That's that's the metaphor of the cradle. And so, how is death the cradle of life? Well, it's it's because once you hold that near and dear, then you realize there's no there's no future to like. What are you saving yourself for? You mm-hmm. know. So if you want to live a life of meaning and purpose, and you know, really swing for the fences while you're alive, that first step in that is to realize that this is the only one you got. Mm-hmm. And yep. so you got to make the most of it. And that's what I love about this particular journey that COVID thrust me upon um, for myself is that the people I get to interact with now, it burned away all the moral cowards and intellectual frauds. <laughs> one of my favorite waggish sayings is COVID killed a lot of my heroes. Just none of them died from the disease, right? These were people I had admired. And, and then suddenly everything went away mm-hmm. because it turned out they weren't actually the morally courageous people I thought they were mm-hmm. or they didn't have the intellectual rigor to understand when they were wrong and to change their minds. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, at any rate, that's so, yeah. So, well, next time we'll have to we get, get to into inter- more detail. We get to interact with people who, <laughs> who are the opposite end of that spectrum though, who are moral giants, super courageous and, and who, uh, just intellectual, just here. You know, he's one of my, my heroes. I just love this guy. Who? Paul Merrick. I love him too. He's apparently, he's apparently, guy. you know, if, if you know, Paul, I've, I, I've heard that you're either, he either really likes you or you're a complete moron. Like he's, but <laughs> the way he parses people out that way is, is he, he, he's looking for that integrity that people have. And if people have that integrity, he senses it very quickly. But he, what I really admire about him is he consumes like 50 science papers a day. It feels like he like knows everything that's ever happening and he'll have a completely solid point of view about something that's super researched and a new piece of data comes along and he'll change the whole thing. 
that to me is high, high, high integrity. Because mm-hmm. when you're so sure of yourself that you're willing to change your opinion instantly, that's to me one of the best definitions of integrity I heard, which some people say, oh, you know, you say what you mean, mean what you say. But here's another version of integrity. The complete willingness to be re-educated at any moment in time. Mm-hmm. And that that's who he is. So so I really admire him. And, yeah, he's uh, a great man. Just got a chance to hang out with him uh, just a couple days ago. And, and so, yeah, he's, he's fab. So. I'm really, really pleased that um, get to meet these people and hang out with them and all that. Yeah, COVID's um, been good for that in some respects, huh? Yeah, seems hey, like those people have. We got to we got to switch gears back here um, to this topic for a second. Um, Lily uh, Gazzo, I love that one. Oh, uh, the real Anthony Fauci. Yeah, I'm reading. <laughs> the library wait list is 334. Look at this one. I'm reading the real Anthony Fauci book. The library wait list is 334. Sins of omission, here it is. This is a New York Times bestseller. It is by far the runaway bestseller of the past year. Over a million copies sold so far. I was just talking with uh, RFK the other day. It's just the biggest thing ever. Have you heard about it? Hasn't been reviewed by any book reviews. <laughs> no. Nobody will touch it. They don't want to talk about it. I love hearing that the wait list is 334 at the library. That's awesome. Awesome. Um but uh, if it's really 334, uh, let me know the library. I'll donate a couple copies and we can cut that down, you know, <laughs> to, to only 50 if we put enough copies in there, 50 per copy. Um, so that's awesome. Uh, but at any rate, I think we're here at the end of our time now tonight. And so what I want to do is just thank everybody for being here. This is the live cast format. It's been fun having you here. It's been great being here with Evie, of course, and uh, having Aaron manage the system for us this has been a lot of fun so this is what we're going to do and by the way we have part two is over at the website and it's really about um this financial calamity that's uh sort of coming forward at this point in time so hey with that uh if you want to see part two of this i have a big talk with with a guy who runs a hedge fund talking about the death of the petrodollar in slightly more detail than we did tonight plus the community plus the community <laughs> plus what I actually think about what's happening oh, right, in terms of how COVID is affecting people, the spike protein, I should say, let me be careful um, about that. So at any rate, that's all. That's what we have for you tonight. Uh, come on by peakprosperity.com. Check it out. Love to see you there too. Otherwise we will see you here next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. Good to go. All right. With that, have a good night, everyone. And we will see you next time. <laughs>